Thank you, Brent, for that very kind introduction. And good morning, everyone, and Happy New Year. Good to be here. I'm looking at the clock to see what time I'm starting, you know, so I make sure I stop at the right time. Anyways, I received a phone call from Mike uh, several weeks ago, and he told me that he'd be out of town this Sunday and asked me if uh, I could preach. And I said yes. And then I texted him back and said, while the cat's away, the mice will play. And then he texted me back a big smiley face because he knew I was trustworthy and that I would probably end up talking about love, which is one of his favorite subjects. And look at this. We're going to be talking about love this morning. The specific uh, title for this morning is The Catalyst of Love. And there's a premise that I operate by that's uh, written down here. Love is the divine catalyst for birthing, sustaining, and multiplying of all things in the kingdom of God. I'll read it again. Love is the divine catalyst for birthing, sustaining, and multiplying of all things in the kingdom of God. Whether it's the kingdom of God in your life, the kingdom of God in your marriage, the kingdom of God in your family, the kingdom of God in your ministry, whatever you do, that love is the catalyst for everything. And uh, to appreciate this, I'd like to, to, to describe what is a catalyst. And if you look this up, there's two dimensions of the definition of catalyst. One is a substance that causes or accelerates a chemical reaction. Now, I'm familiar with this term because back in the 60s, when I was fixing my old wooden surfboard and it had a ding, you had to repair it by covering it with fiberglass. And that fiberglass had to be soaked in resin. But there was something you had to put in the resin in order to make the chemical reaction that would harden it, seal it, and thus you had to repair your surfboard. And so this was the the chemical reaction. And love is like that in the kingdom of God. It, It needs to be added to everything else to cause the proper chemical reaction in the spirit to cause things in the kingdom to come into being. Now there's a second aspect of the definition of a catalyst. A person or event that quickly causes change or action. A person or an event that quickly causes change of action. Now I have a good illustration for this. Uh, Back in the 60s, in the 65 year, That's when I first began to date Janet. And we went out a couple times, and it really didn't go anywhere. And then I remember on uh, the new year, 1966, we tried again and fizzled out again. However, it was destined that we were going to be together. 
So what happened was several months later, uh, some of my friends and I, we went and we crashed a slumber party. And at the slumber party were Janet and some other gals. And so in the middle of that slumber party, they played this game of spin the bottle. And so we had this, you know, spin the bottle, and the way was you'd spin the bottle, and whoever pointed at you had to give a kiss. And so I, you know, spun the bottle, and it pointed at Janet. And so I had to give Janet this kiss. Now, when I gave her that kiss that time, and she kissed me, there was a catalytic reaction. <laughs> there was the catalyst of love that was inside of us, brewing for each other. There was the catalyst of God that wanted us to be together. And it went off. And from that point, we started dating every night. You know, every day we were together. And then by August of that year, we were married. And now it's been 55 years. And I'd have to say that at the very center of our relationship is this, this actually gift of love we have for each other that's never waned through thick or thin. But then there's that divine aspect to it over the years of God adding his love to the mixture of our life that has enhanced us to where I think we are more, more in love today than uh, we've ever been in our life. And so that's what a catalyst is, the catalyst of love. And this morning I'd like to look at how this catalyst of love works. And first of all, I'd like to, like to look at the model life of Jesus. We'll see that there's a catalytic event in the life of Jesus where, where love mobilizes him for everything he does. And then that catalytic action of love goes beyond Jesus and is multiplied on the day of Pentecost with the outpouring of the Spirit, and there's a catalytic event that forms the church in love. And then finally, after looking at these things, we can say, how do you make the connection? How do we connect with the catalytic of love of God in our life? So first of all, I'd like to look at the model life of Jesus and an event that takes place there that I would call the catalytic event. This is in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And this is the baptism of Jesus in the River Jordan. Now, Jesus has been in hiding for 30 years. And when he comes to that point of baptism at the River Jordan, this is his public declaration of what he's come to do. This is the inaugural event of the king coming to establish his kingdom. And in order to do that, there has to be a catalytic action of love to compel him into his kingdom destiny. And so here's what the text tells us about this. Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, 
You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Jesus is there in his humanity. He's the God-man who's come now into human flesh. And he's now coming to identify himself with all mankind in submitting to the baptism of John. And there in that moment of need, he prays. We're told that in Luke. And the result is the heavens are open. The Spirit comes upon him to anoint him to bring the kingdom. And then the Father speaks those beautiful words to him. Jesus, you are my son whom I love and with you I am well pleased. And I like what Brandon Manning writes in describing this event. He says, I believe that at some point in his human journey, Jesus was seized by the power of a great affection and experienced the love of his Father in a way that burst all previous boundaries of understanding. Then it happens. Whatever the external manifestations were, the baptism of Jesus Christ in the River Jordan was an awesome personal experience. What an earthquake in the human soul of Jesus. This experience of his father's love is catalytic to his life and ministry. Jesus' baptismal experience of the empowered love of the father, father catalyzes his kingdom-building ministry and becomes the prototypical experience for all seeking to follow in his footsteps. Jesus has this powerful catalytic experience of the love of God. And out of it, he receives the Father's heart of love towards all he will minister to. That compassion that God the Father meets him at this moment of his human weakness is the compassion that carries him through his ministry. And as he comes and he ministers in compassion to people, power comes to it to heal. And I, this is a beautiful principle that, of understanding that power always comes to compassion. And not sometimes we get it backwards. Power doesn't always produce compassion. But this beautiful thing is this catalytic moment that Jesus has leads to his fulfilling his kingdom destiny. And, and I put down here that this event is prototypical for all those who follow in the footsteps of Jesus. All of us, when we say, I want to live a life like Jesus, well, we need to always go back to the beginning. We need to come to that place, place where we stand with him, receive salvation in his name, and then we receive the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And then we too hear these words of love that catalyze our life. Now, in my life, I saw that this Catholic experience sort of was a progressive event. Back in uh, 1967, long time ago, just before the Jesus movement, my wife and I experienced the saving mercy of Jesus. And that was the beginning of our journey. We knew Jesus. And then later on, there was another empowering event 
when John Wimber, who's the founder of the Vineyard Movement, laid hands on us that we would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we became more aware of the experience of God. And then I was moving towards an event that was had this crucial component of the Father's love. And that was in 1985 when I was at a pastor's conference and during a ministry time I got in touch with my historic fear of failure that was deep in my core because of some of the difficulties I had with my relationship with my father. But anyways, at that time, all of a sudden I got in touch with this need I had for a core fatherly love. And, And I was praying. And at that time, the spirit fell upon me in a very powerful way. And light sort of surrounded me. And I heard these words. Eddie, I love you. You are my son. And you can never fail in my sight. Those words catalyzed the love of God the Father in my heart. And as a result of that, it catalyzed my whole life and purpose. Uh, I received a prophetic word that my life purpose was I would become the, the doorman to the Father's house. And I would end up inviting thousands of people into the Father's house and experience this love that I'd experienced. And that's exactly what happened. From that day till now, literally, I've been put in this place, even like this morning, to be that doorman to tell people the Father loves you. Come and experience his love. And as the years went by, literally tens of thousands of people went into that doorway. And so when we look at the model life of Jesus, it shows us this is what it looks like to receive the catalytic love of God the Father through the power of the Spirit in our lives. And it is is. We are all meant to have that same experience of love. Now, we move from the model life of Jesus, where this happens to him, to now God wants to multiply this catalytic love in order to birth his church in that love. And so we see the multiplication of this love on the day of Pentecost. Now, I think everyone here is pretty familiar with Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, we have the followers of Jesus, the 120, that are gathered in the upper room, and they realize that they need to pray. Jesus has told them to pray. Don't go anywhere. Don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes upon you with power. And you receive what the Father promised you. Now it so happens that they had the promise of the Spirit coming in power. But Jesus also said, if you love me to his disciples, then the Father loves you. He has a phileo love for you. He wants to touch you with his love. So they're waiting for that. They know they can't do anything until they receive the power of the Spirit and they receive the love of the Father. So they pray. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit falls. 
A mighty rushing wind comes, the presence of God. Tongues of fire, just a beautiful metaphor for that warmth of love, comes and burns upon them. And they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And the church is born, the church is birthed. And now it says that this love and this power that happened to Jesus can happen to everyone who comes to believe in him and seeks to live out a kingdom life. God wants to multiply his love and power to everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul, when he writes about Pentecost, he sort of lets us get the inside picture. And this is in Romans chapter 5, verses 5, one of my favorite verses. He says, and this is his first reference to the Holy Spirit in the book of Romans. And he says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love, the Father's love, has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so Paul looks back on the day of Pentecost and he says, God's love, the Father's love, was poured out into our hearts. And that language is the language of Pentecost. Because when they asked Peter, what's going on? He says, well, this is the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy that there was the promise that the Spirit of God would be poured out on all flesh. This is that day. And so when Paul says this in Romans 5, he's referring specifically to the day of Pentecost because that's the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out into our hearts where we could feel it, where we could have the earthquake in our heart. And that's what happens to them on the day of Pentecost. And I love the way that Henry Nouwen describes this. He says, On Pentecost, the fullness of Jesus' ministry becomes visible. When the Holy Spirit descends upon the disciples and dwells with them, their lives are transformed into Christ-like lives, lives shaped by the same love that exists between the Father and the Son. Beautiful. You see, Pentecost is the baptismal day of the church. It is the inaugural day of the church. And it is an experience that all who are in the body of Christ are to come to experience. It is to be multiplied. The church is now birthed and catalyzed into action by the power of the Spirit and the Father's love. Every revival in church history from the first great awakening to the Toronto blessing was catalyzed by people having experienced the love of God. Throughout my Christian life in pastoral ministry, I have read many biographies and I have studied the revivals. And it is significant that in almost every major figure in church history especially in modern mission history, has had a dynamic experience of the Father's love in the Holy Spirit, and it's catalyzed them. Whether it be John Wesley, you know, someone like that, or uh, Charles Finney that I've written about, his incredible experience of the Father's love in the Second Great Awakening. 
It just catalyzed them. And then we have our modern version, the Toronto Blessing, the outpouring of the Spirit in Toronto, Canada, in 1990, it was in 1994. And since that point, this outpouring of the power of the Spirit and the love of the Father, because the, the Toronto Blessing became known as the Father's Blessing, And since that time, over 6 million people have passed through the doors of that Toronto church. And what has come out of it is this outpouring of the Father's love that began there, touched so many people, and it's it's diminished at Toronto itself, but it sent all these people out all over the world, people like Heidi Baker, they're out there touching tens of thousands of people's lives with one message, the Father loves you. The Father loves you. And making that proclamation in the power of the Holy Spirit with signs and wonders following. Now, Toronto brings me fond memories. Because I remember it was in April of 1994, and the Spirit had, was poured out in January of 1994 in Toronto. And Janet and I and Mike happened to come along reluctantly, as he shares in his testimony. And so he, he comes along because I'm doing this conference in a, uh, one of the suburbs of Toronto. And so I said to them, let's go visit the Toronto Airport Vineyard, see what's going on. At that point, it was in a, a building half the size of this, concrete floors, and there, were, there weren't even 200 people there. And so we're there, and John Arnott gives his message. He invites the Spirit to come. And Mike and I go down. Now, we're e- Mike and I are easy. We go down easy because we just love the Holy Spirit. It means when the Holy Spirit comes, we say, why not? You know, because wonderful things come out of it. So, and what happens is that I fall down face down, and so does Mike. That's, that's what we do. But Janet is a little, you know, a little bit more hesitant. It takes a while for her to soak in it. And I think even Carol Arnott had to do her work on Janet. But then she, she's down, and the, the result is we're all down, but Janet's face up. And as Mike has told the story, at least every couple of months <laughs> when I come here, of how his foot is on you know, Janet's ear. He, have you heard that story? Yeah. Because that's when we had this encounter with this reviving of the Father's love. Now, that's where he usually stops the story. But I'll tell you more. (laughs) See, when we come home, that was like on a weekend. So we come home on Sunday morning to our Mission Viejo Vineyard, and it's full of people. It was in our new building. And I say, I wonder if this thing is transferable. So I said at the end, I said, hey, we just got back from Toronto. Let's see. There's, you know, we, we've experienced this outpouring of the Father. So let's, here, let's pray for a moment. So I said, just come Holy Spirit. You know, Father, pour out your love. And then I sort of turned into a madman. You know, I said, I'm going to lay hands on the people in the front. And they all fall down. And, and then I go through the whole church. And pretty soon when I get to the back of the church, I look back and 
Oh, no. This, we are in full-fledged revival. Now, that revival and that outpouring of love continued for years. Uh, and we especially nurtured it on Sunday nights. And on Sunday nights, you know, in the middle of the meeting or, you know, as we were ministering, I'd say, where's Mike? Hey, Mike, where are you? You need help with this. And we'd have to, we'd go find Mike, you know, against the wall. He'd be in the back, in the wall, you know, sitting against the wall, just trembling, just, you know, just totally overwhelmed by the spirit of God and love. And uh, now why is that important? Well, because he, he just has sort of got, you know, pickled in love, sort of, you know, got soaked in love week after week after week. You know, and what emerged out of that, what emerged out of that was what I would call pastoral Mike with a loving heart. And he's the pastor you have here now. And now it's so beautiful in the last couple of years. I, every time I come here, no matter what he talks about, somehow it comes out. Love. The Father's love in everything. And it's a beautiful thing because this church is embodied with the love of the Father. This church exists because of what happened to Jesus, what happened at Pentecost, what happened at Toronto. And, and what's continuing to happen is love is flowing through this church. And it has a great future. This is our legacy what better legacy to leave than a legacy of love? A legacy of love. So now we come to this point, well, how, how can you make the connection individually or corporately to this wonderful love? And Jesus you know, made such a beautiful statement in, in this context. John 14, 6. I am the way... I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, Jesus came to not only save us because of the Father's love, but to help us become sons and daughters living, experiencing the Father's love. And he said, believe in me, come to me, and I'm going to deliver you to the Father. Sometimes we don't realize that, that Jesus not only died for us, but he, he came to deliver us to our Father, that we could be sons and daughters and experience the same love. Because what they're concerned about, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, is this continuum of love. That's what they're all concerned about. This world was created out of the continuum of the love of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit loved each other and they wanted to create a people that they could freely give that love away to. That then the people would get that love and they'd live in that love and they'd give it away to another because in the end, that's all that will be left. And Paul made it so clear. Faith, hope, and love and the greatest of this is love because in the end, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of love. A kingdom of love. I like that. 
I'd like to look at this connection at two levels. One's the individual level. The second thing's the corporate level. The individual level. Life brings us to places of need to experience this catalytic love of the Father in order to heal historic hurts, fill the core need of our heart, and give us hope for a purposeful life. From that place, we prayerfully place our faith in Jesus. We lift our hearts to be filled by the Spirit and receive the embrace of the Father's love. You see, life has its way of bringing us into the need for the Father's love. Life has a way. Like someone said, God can come to us in the form of our life. Life brings us to a place where we get in touch with our need for this love. It, it may be because we need to have a historic hurt healed. We may need, we realize we have an emptiness in our heart for a love that's beyond us. There is no love in this life that meets the need that we connect to a love beyond us. God has put that need in every one of us. And also, that love is important for us to eventually be catalyzed to live a purposeful life. Love helps us fulfill what we were meant to do. And so when we get in that place, where do we go? To Jesus. We stand by Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Redeem me from my sins. And we go and we pray in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, come and fill me. And Abba, Father, find me in love. You know, this last year, I met a young man by the name of Parker. He and his wife, Jesse, do revival meetings. Uh, they did them on the, here on the West Coast. Now they're back east in North Carolina doing stuff back there. And Parker got in touch with me because he, someone had recommended that he talk to me because he needed to learn more about the Father's love. I was amazed that here was a young man, 40-ish, that's young to me, and uh, he was involved in revival in proclaiming Jesus, just like in the first Great Awakening. But he had never really heard about the Father's love. This was amazing to me. So I was, Janda and I were able to talk with him about it, and we were able to pray for him. And there was this beautiful moment when we prayed for him, and the Spirit came on him, and he was touched with the Father's love. It was so beautiful. Now, it impacted his life. He began to preach it, you know, in the, in the next set of revival meetings. And his wife, Jesse, says, you've never preached like that in your whole life. And all of a sudden people, you know, there's hundreds of people were responding and experiences. So he, he said, all right. Now then he was invited to do uh, a series of programs with his wife on Sid Roth's program, It's Supernatural. So he's going to do these things. And then he asked me, would you come, would you come, Janet and I, and do one of the segments? And right now we're in the yes mode. So we said, yes. And we went. And that was a, it was a beautiful opportunity that we had to go back and minister with him. But at an individual level, he had experienced this love. And it was a love that 
He had core need because of his relationship with his father. And it was a, he had an emptiness, he was looking for it. And it's, it's helping him to fulfill even more purposefully his life. Now, a comment here on making this connection corporately. And this is the, the influence the church can have in a corporate way of helping the necessity of helping on a larger scale people come into experience this catalytic love. Here's my thoughts on this. On a corporate level, we, the church, live in a unique time when the human condition is in crisis. The human condition is in crisis. Now, the human condition has always been in crisis to some degree because of sin and brokenness, etc. But we live in a time in our country when individuals are experiencing a definite crisis in the human condition. In other words, where people in this generation are having difficulty in, in finding love in their life. They're having difficulty in identifying who they are. They're having difficulty in our culture because they're looking for God in technology or the Internet. That's an altered reality that puts our country and the world in technology in crisis because they're not going to find the love they're looking for on social networks. And so that there's so many ways that things I could describe about the human condition being in crisis. But also our national culture is in fierce division. And Mike addresses this from time to time, saying we need love. We need love. We need mercy in what I call the muddled middle. We, it's the love of God that needs to be introduced into the core of our nation. Now, I know that's a, that's a big commission, but I think at an individual level and a corporate level, this is, this is what we want to realize. We want to bring this catalytic love into whatever we're doing because our nation is in crisis. And declining church attendance signals the need for a more relevant message. Now, this isn't necessarily true here, but throughout the United States and in, the Western, in Western Europe, the church is in radical decline in attendance because it, it needs a relevant message. And the relevant message is empowered love and the mercy of Christ, manifest, embodied in its people. And this is what would happen in these great awakenings. So I think this is, on a corporate level, perhaps the spirit-empowered message of the Father's love is the message for such a time as this. For such a time as this. And that's why when I look at Jesse and, and Parker, they're out there in these revival meetings, and now they're ministering in the empowered love of the Father in proclaiming the mercy of Jesus. Now, I mentioned that uh, Parker invited uh, Janet and I to go back and be involved in this program. Now, I have to admit that this program, Sid Ross, It's Supernatural, wasn't on my radar. <laughs> 
because the whole world of Christian television and in that, you know, whether it be CBN or TVN or God's channel, all these other things are a complete mystery to me. It's like another world. And that's all right because, you know, we always we have to get introduced to other worlds from time to time. So we go back to film this show. And a couple things in, that were meaningful to me is that, uh, so we go to Sid Roth's studio in Charlotte, and it's a big TV production. You know, it's got all the people with suits and, you know, iPads going around and sets and everything, which is, that's a new world to me. So, but they have this little luncheon uh, that is going to take place, and then two hours later, I'm going to be doing my thing with Parker. And so we're sitting at this table with all the other speakers. And, and I was listening to the conversation, you know, we were like the proverbial mice in the corner listening, because these people on the table were heavy hitters. I mean, they, they had big ministries and, you know, degrees and stuff. And, but I was listening to their conversation. And you know what they were talking about? They were talking about the human condition. They were talking about the national crisis. They were talking about all these things at a, at a high level. And we're listening, going, whoa. And uh, so in the middle of that conversation, now there's this woman sitting across from us, very well-dressed lady. And she's right in the middle of all these conversations with all this prophetic insight. And while the talk is going on all over the table, she just goes quiet you know, and looks at Janet and I. And she reaches across and puts her hand on my book, The Father Loves You, that's sitting on the table beside it. I just show it on my show with Parker. And she puts her hand on and she said, this is what we need. This is what is needed. And he puts, she puts her hand right on the Father's love. Now, I thought, well, that's interesting. And then afterwards, I find out that this is Cindy Jacobs. And she's having, and I just know a little bit about her, but I know people in that world know a lot about Cindy Jacobs and her prophetic ministry. So I thought it was just something that she put her hand on that book and she said, this is the message that's needed today, right in the middle of this whole dialogue. So then I do my show and with Parker, and, you know, we... And I, I first had to go into makeup. You know, they had to work on me a while. <laughs> the biggest thing, the biggest thing they were impressed with is that I had a, I, I think I had this shirt on and a, a black coat, and these same jeans and these shoes. And they, they loved these shoes on camera. They just thought that is really cool. So I think that was the first time that it happened on It's Supernatural, is having a <laughs> tennis shoes like that. But so then it's done, and when it gets done, one of these, I call them handlers, you know, comes up and uh, says, uh, Sid would like to meet with you in his office. Now, he wasn't there all day. He's hardly ever there when other people are shooting something. But he happened to pass by while I was doing my thing, and he was in the other room where all the computer things are doing their thing, and he watched it. 
So he invites Janet and I into his office. And we go into this big office, and he's sort of laid back, casual. He's 80 years old, but he's in great shape. And, uh, and I just liked him from the get-go. You know, he was so real and uh, a wonderful man. And he says this to me. He says this thing to me. He said, you know, I, I, I was watching the filming of your show with Parker, and he says, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a head man. I'm a heart man. I, it wasn't so much that of what you were saying, but he says, she says, why you were speaking, I felt something in my heart that I've never felt in my life. And he's had every person you can think of on that show. And I just, and he just couldn't get over it. He said, this, this feeling in my heart. And he says to me, we need this in the revival. And that's what he's all about. And he said, you have to come back. You have to come back. And so I'm thinking, you know, I've heard this before. You know, it's pretty cool, but I mean, I hear anything. So, but I do, two weeks later, I hear from one of the first stage producers, and then the, two weeks later, the second stage producer. And what's really cool is that these people that are in the production staff, they're reading every book I wrote. They are, they are watching anything on YouTube that I've ever done. And, and you know what's coming out of them? Which is hard to believe. We've never heard this before. And, and they're all weepy. These, these are getting touched by the Father's love. Incredible. Now, so then we head into New Year's and they, you know, they're saying, well, maybe in the spring. And you know what? It, this, you know, I'm, and I'm trying to get a little ratification in my heart this morning about this whole message. So I, just before I leave, I'm checking my texts. And I haven't even told Janet this, but there was a text there that came at 7 o'clock this morning from Sid Roth's office saying basically that there's a man who got sick and can't show up this week. Would you come back this week and do the morning show and do Sid Roth's show the day after? So I got that on my, on my plate right now. And I'm only saying that to say, oh, this, this is happening. Now, what I'm talking about is not all that foreign to many of you. But for some of you, you maybe never heard it before, this message of the Father's love. And many of you have heard it before. But I want to tell you, there's more for you. And I want to tell you this, there's a lot more for you to do. Now, this connection point. One of the richest moments on that show was at the very end. You're in a studio and it's all black. And there's just you know, cameras all around. And, and at the very end, Parker says, well, will you pray over the people? So I, when I, I look at this, you know, this camera, the black, whatever, there it is. So I, so I pray. 
And I pray this prayer, which is my, this is my favorite sequence of prayers. And I, and I tell the people, if we'll pray this together and it will put us standing alongside Jesus in the same place he was, and we can pray this prayer. And I prayed this prayer. And I said, pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And I believe that that prayer always puts us in the presence of Jesus. Always. We, we're in him instantly. The second thing is, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Come upon me. And the Holy Spirit likes to answer that one. And the final one was, Abba, Father, find me with your love here and now. So let's stand while they figure out what's going on. And we're going to pray that prayer together. Whatever that was, stop it. (laughs) A little resistance from time to time is a sure sign that God is on the move. Okay. Now, at this time, I would like us, I would like you to pray with me that prayer. And the whole purpose of it is that we would pray ourselves into that place where we are standing with Jesus, just like where he was baptized, that we will pray just like he did and ask for the Holy Spirit to come upon us this morning. And then we will pray, Abba, Father, find me. Because this is the first Sunday of a new year. This is is an opportunity for you and I as a congregation to come into an inauguration to begin this new year because there's more in store for everyone. So let's all take a deep breath and you can close your eyes and lift your countenance towards heaven and if you're comfortable just lift your hands to receive and then you can pray after me these prayer this prayer this morning just a deep breath and let this prayer come out of your heart father hear our prayer now Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, 
have mercy on me. I come to meet with you. Holy Spirit, come, rest upon me. Holy Spirit, come, rest upon me with your power and your love. Abba, Father, find me here and now with your love. Abba, Father, find me here and now with your love. Now I would like to pray over you. I would like to pray over you and hear my prayer and stay in this position of just receiving. Our Father in heaven, we stand before you declaring our faith in Jesus. We ask that you would once again open the heavens and pour out the Holy Spirit upon us in power and in love. Father, connect our hearts to your endless love and catalyze our lives to build your kingdom and commission us afresh to make your love known to everyone, everywhere, Amen. Let's stay in this place of receiving. Holy Spirit, rest upon us now. Holy Spirit, rest upon us, each one of us individually and personally, where we need to be touched by love today. Rest upon the church as a congregation that you might anoint us and prepare us for the year ahead. 